Welcome to the Startup Launchpad Podcast. I'm your host, Carl, and in each episode, we are going to unpack key insights, expert advice, and success stories to power up your startup journey. Let's make your entrepreneurial dreams a reality. All right, so not to waste any more time, it's five minutes past the hour, and um, yeah, so we'll get started and people will join on as we go. So thank you so much, everyone, for being here. Um, my name is Prolamoto Mbo, and I'll be moderating this session today. Um, and I'm really excited about this one for two reasons. One, it's a really great topic, really interesting conversation. And two, it's an all-female panel, which we don't have too often. So I'm pretty excited about that. And I'm really looking forward to um, today's conversation. So um, today we're going to be talking about understanding the role of strategic leadership in a startup's journey. Um, yeah, so it's going to be a great discussion. We have a few questions and we'll make it as casual, laid back as possible. And I know that we're going to learn a lot. Those who would be on the space, those who will listen to it afterward. Um, yeah, so I'm going to do a very, very brief, this is who is on the call. This is who our speakers are, um, introduction. And then I'll actually hand over to them to introduce themselves, what they do, and their company and just give us insight into who they are and then we'll jump into the conversation for today. So first up, we have Ekene Udemizwe um, joining us today. Ekene is the product pro program manager at Hugo and um, we are grateful to have you on Ekene. Um, next up, we have Mariam Hamidu. Mm. Mariam is a co-founder CEO at T40 Technologies. Um, great to have you on, Mariam. Um, Ashley, next up we have Ashley Emanuel. Ashley is the co-founder, chief operating officer at Semicolon. And then last but definitely not least, we have Jasmine Ohen. Um, so thank you ladies for joining us. Um, great. It's a pleasure and I'm looking forward to a great, interesting conversation. So I'll just hand it over to you guys to tell us a bit about you, yourselves, and what you do. Um, nothing too fancy, two to three minutes just to get a sense of who you are, and we'll dive into the conversation for today. So, um, Jasmine, I think I'll start with you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So how I like to describe what I do, I uh, recently just experienced the massive layoffs. Uh, my whole company was furloughed uh, where I was working. But what I like to say that I do is that I am a strategist and storyteller for startups. And I do that in a multitude of ways, multifaceted. Uh, but if you have a plan, uh, an idea, a vision, I'll help you strategize. And if you need help communicating that vision to get money or to grow outreach and to grow your programs, I can help you effectively tell your stories. That is me. Great. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jasmine. Looking forward to your insights today. Um, yeah, Mariam, you want to go next? Hi, hi. Hi, everyone. I'm Mariam Hamidu. Um, co-founder of T40 Technologies. We're a SaaS um, company based in Nigeria. We provide digital solutions for intercity transport and logistics operators. Well, to kind of just simplify that, we are on a mission to change the state of intercity transport um, and logistics across Africa. And we're doing that one country at a time. So that's a bit of what I do. Thanks. All right. Great. Thanks, Mariam. Nice to have you on here. 
Um, Ashley, we got you up, so that's great. You want to go ahead? Yes, sure. Thank you. Hi, good evening. Good to be here. Um, and nice to connect with everyone, including the fellow panelists. Um, so my name is Ashley Emanuel, co-founder of Semicolon. And we are driving Africa's digital transformation by building tech-focused talent and businesses. So we do a few things. One is we uh, we do training, including a techpreneurship program that produces highly employable software engineers. Uh, we need the right talent um, by matching them with direct hires or outsourced roles. Um, we, through our semicolon labs, do advisory and project implementation for companies that need support, tech-related support um, or projects. And then we also do venture building. So we work with startups, um, really build um, startups from the ground up and do some training for startups. All right, great. Thanks, Ashley, and great to have you on here. And um, yeah, last but not the least, Ekene, you can go ahead. So my name is Ekene. I am a program manager at Hugo. Um, Hugo is a business process outsourcing company. And um, one of the things that we like to say is that we are building the future of work for Africans. So bringing in like um, business processing um, to Nigeria and just harnessing the West African talent and exposing the West African talent to like the global market and showing that they're really capable of more. So basically what I do is I take care of everything new business, right? So once there's a new business coming into the company, I would think about the experience of the client and I would think about the project, the product, the program, and how we want to scale pretty quickly. Um, just so that the client has a great experience. And then Hugo has more jobs for people in Africa, Nigeria, to be specific. So, yeah, that's what I do. All right, great. Thank you so much, ladies. And, yeah, I think we have a really good mix of people. And so definitely looking forward to your insights. Um, so, like I said, today we're talking about understanding the role of strategic strategic leadership in a startup's journey and just before i kind of dive into the first question just a few house rules for everyone on the call we're so happy to have you on here um just in case we are having the discussion and you have a question we're going to leave the last 10 minutes or so to just take any questions but first of all we just want to get some insight from the speakers and then we'll hand it over for questions if there are any so definitely hang on for that um yeah so um I'm going to start by, so usually when we have this, we have people who are on the call who are would-be founders or just um, kind of like in their own space in their careers, starting out and just really looking towards how to grow. And we have people on the call, we have people who would listen later on on the podcast. And so I like to really break things down. So um, my first question with that in mind is, how would you define strategic leadership in the context of a startup and why is it crucial? for the journey of a young company. So I think there are so many facets of um, strategic leadership and different people come at it from different perspectives. And so I'd like to know when you hear or when you think about strategic le leadership, what does that mean to you and how important and critical is it for a startup? So Ekene, um, I think I'll start with you. Um, so thinking about like strategic leadership generally when it comes to um, startups, like so in the world of startup, right, um, there's the idea of running pretty fast, 
right? Um, because you're thinking about a lot of things at the same time. You're thinking about funding. You're thinking about getting the product out to the market uh, or whatever it is that you're trying to sell, right? So the idea of strategic leadership, when you think about it in the startup life, it's really important. Um, it's not something that we see that a lot of people are big on, right? Um, but in the idea that when you want to start up something, right, just having the people that push for, especially around the vision, right, what it is exactly that you are trying to get to, what do you want to do, how do you think about the vision, how do you think about, um, sorry, excuse me, how do you think about direction, right? So one thing that I'd say that is very important for, like, startups, especially around, like, strategic leadership and how it plays a huge role, right, is around, especially around, like, vision and direction, right? Um, so I will leave it at that so that we can have other people answer. Great, great, great points, again. Thank you so much. Ashley? Yeah, thanks a lot. Just um, to build on what Akena said, I think, um, you know, she talked about visioning. So there are two things that come to mind for me. One, um, so I read an interesting, our team actually, our, our management team, we read an interesting article together recently called In Praise of the Incomplete Leader. Um, I can try to drop a link in this chat. Um, but it talked about different leadership competencies. And one of them was sense-making. Um, so being able to really take a lot, absorb a lot of information um, and synthesize it and, and get a sense of, sort of what's happening in the landscape. Um, and then another is visioning. Um, so I think that those are two kind of leadership competencies that I think really tied to the, the concept of strategic leadership. Um, in terms of one kind of specific example of how that's manifested. I would um, I think of the lean startup theory. Um, for those who are familiar with that, if you're not, you can there's a book, but you can also kind of watch short explainers on YouTube. Um, but the concept is that when you have a startup, um, you have to have a clear vision. Again, you the leader has to have some skills around visioning, and a lot of times a founder or like the co-founders or the leaders will, at least in the early stages, really um, play a very strong role in driving, you know, identifying and driving that vision. Um, so that's sort of the North Star. But the startup needs to be quite agile. Um, sort of by definition is doing things that are untested. And so there are a lot of hypotheses that actually sort of need to be tested as the team is working. So although the vision is clear, then you have to kind of work backwards and build um, a strategy around that and, and figure out how to execute on that, on that and be really testing, um, ideally identify what your hypotheses are, but be really testing and willing to sort of pivot quickly. So if something's not working, which means that there's a skill around um, really monitoring and seeing if things are working. And there's also probably a skill around not being biased because when we've built something, it feels like our baby. But when we, it goes, when we push it into the market and the market, people aren't buying it, people don't like it, we have to be willing to take that feedback um, and, and then kind of know when it's time to pivot and work with the team um, on pivoting while keeping that, that vision intact. Great, great points, Ashley. I love um, some of the points you raised. So while vision is um, 
very important and definitely not star. There's all the other things of just like bringing structure to chaos and then also just those different things that is needed in it because of the nature of a startup. So I think those are some really great points you um, brought out. Jasmine, I saw your hand go up. Um, you can definitely go ahead. Yeah, thanks. One of the things that can get overlooked, but it is massive trait and skill for a founder of a startup to have is adaptability and flexibility. There is an often uncertainty of what the next will look like, what the environment will look like, what the team will look like. And first, yes, cast vision, work backwards, and also be adaptable. If you were working on a project for one month, be willing to shift if partners or founders, not in a way that is not true to your vision or your mission, but if it's not working, it's not working. After you've tested and you've seen what the market is saying to it, or if it's not responding well internally in a way that's going to promote growth, then it's an opportunity to be flexible and agile. And it, the willingness that a leader has to experiment, but also pivot, really kind of lays the foundation and the blueprint for how they will expand and how they will drive the company forward. You know, we love to hear fail fast and fall forward, but it's true. You want to be as quick and adaptable within the startup space because it's always changing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thanks, Jasmine, for those points. I think um, that's true. Um, Miriam, let me let you um, chip in here before I kind of like say something to what all of you said. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I think some some very great points, right? And um, I kind of want to just like put all those together because it's all true. It it's about the and I like I think I like the way Ashley puts it. You know, developing the ability of visioning, right? So it's I think when people hear vision, it's it sounds like this you know thing that's just in front of you or just comes up in your head, but it actually is something that you build. You continue to rework, right? And I'm speaking on that from my own perspective as, you know, someone building a company in a very uncertain market um, as well. So I think I'll share some some examples from my own experience that kind of bring it together, right? So for me, strategic leadership, um, running a SaaS company in Nigeria looks like leading a product-led company. And for us, we strategically took the product-led approach because in the African market, what we've learned so far is, one, this is the most scalable way to to go. And also, it's the best. So I'll say scalable summarizes it, right? So it's scalable. It's the best for in terms of resources. Um, and it just makes sense because it's it's the approach that draws us closest to our customers. When you're running a product-led, um, when it, when you're running a product-led company, you're very customer-centric, right? Because the product becomes the focus, and how the customers engage with it is is really key. So all the feedback you get, all the marketing you're doing, all this, all the sales that you do, actually rises and falls on the product. And this is an approach that we've taken that has been a major part of our growth um, and our success as well in the space, right? Um, To add to what uh, Jasmine already said about adaptability, I always say like good leadership has a lot to do with intuition. And I see intuition as a muscle that you can train. It's not something that's innate, but 
you have to continue to build and develop yourself um, in your own space, in your leadership capacity to be able to be to think very fast, basically, and make very quick decisions, but decisions that are good as well. So spending a lot of time developing intuition, that point where, you know, your heart, so what people will call their gut feelings, meets, log- meets logic, and then helps you make the best decisions possible in the quickest amount of time, also for the market that you're in. So I think I just wanted to bring all of that um, um, together. Thanks. Thanks so much, Mariam. And thanks to everyone. Because I think, um, and that's what I love about having so many different perspectives. It comes from all different angles. But at, this, at the end of the day, we're all like looking at the um, the apple or whatever from all different sides. And we're just really looking at it because I think um, everything everybody says, just like to be like a strategic leader, especially in like a startup environment, you have to like provide that vision, that leadership, that motivation for your team that they can look up to. And then you also have to provide direction and be able to make the hard decisions and put your big boy pants on and just make those hard decisions while it's all like a balancing act and all of that. So I think the, um, that's really great. Um, and we know all these things we need to do. So we need to be um, provide vision. We need to provide direction. We need to be able to pivot, adapt, adapt to things quickly, um, pass on the, whatever that is. Um, now, all these things we know to do. Which kind of leads me to my question. So these are things that are, okay, yes, okay, this is what strategic leadership looks like. What would you say are the common challenges that um, startup founders or leaders in the organization face when trying to implement some of these strategic initiatives, right? And how can they overcome them? So um, let me ask Ashley, and then I'll also get Mariam's input from um, being co-founder, CEO um, type roles. So common challenges that are actually face when you're actually trying to implement some of these strategic initiatives. So Ashley, yeah, you can go ahead. Okay. Yeah, there are so many, <laughs> so many challenges. Uh, being a founder is not an easy road, especially in Nigeria. Um, I would say one is kind of focus, I suppose. Um, so as a startup founder, there's just so much to do. You're under-resourced. Um, there, all of us are thinking about payroll at the end of each month and rising costs and so forth. Um, and so it's easy to get sort of caught up into the dynamic of trying to do everything. Um, and by that, I mean both for the business, um, chasing a lot of things at once, but also as individuals, um, as the founder trying to um, stretch ourselves to be uh, kind of executing in various ways because we don't yet have um, all of the the team, uh, all of the roles that we'd ideally want to have. And so I think kind of having some of that discipline around figuring out, okay, acknowledging number one, we can't do everything. Um, and then number two, figuring out, okay, what are the key things that we need to be doing right now? Um, and a kind of a common tool that startups will use for that is um, instead of KPIs, using something called OKRs, which is Objectives and Key Results, um, which we've used at Semicolon. Um, not perfectly, but it's I like that approach because OKRs sort of force you to sit down at different levels of the company and say, okay, what are the three to five things that we're going to do this quarter, for example? Um, what are the sort of 
sub steps that need to happen and to that you have to achieve that given objective. Um, and that just sort of focuses both the team, but also can, I think, help focus the founder, right? So to establish, define those objectives and then kind of communicate them and back. Uh, so I think, I think number one is, is that focus piece. Um, I think, yeah, I think the, the piece maybe is just balance, doing that balance of agility that we've talked about with um, maybe that, the consistency, right, that, that um, it takes to really start to achieve results. So again, um, putting that sense-making skill to work um, really having our sensors up so we were sort of deliberate in looking at, okay, what, what will tell us if um, what we're doing is working or it's not, right? Um, if we're going in the right direction or not. Um, sometimes our plans could have been great, but the market has changed. And so we need, to, um, we need to change direction as a result of that. Sometimes we thought customers would love something, but they don't. So we need to change, et cetera. So I think being um, really paying a lot of attention to that and then um, having uh, working with the team to decide when to pivot is the second one. And probably the third one I would say, which I alluded to before, is you know, trying to be as objective as possible um, and really kind of listen with an open mind as possible to all the different stakeholders, right? Um, advisory board, board of directors, um, anybody else who's giving us advice. Um, you know, it can be hard sometimes to hear, um, to listen to feedback with an open mind, especially if it's something we don't like, um, if the feedback is telling us something we worked really hard on isn't working, um, if it's different than what we initially thought. Um, but I think building that skill as quickly is, is really critical um, to helping us be strategic leaders and have that, have that agility. All right, great, Ashley. Thanks for the, that. So basically, um, Number one, don't try to foc don't try to do everything. Focus. What are those three to five points that you just need to get done this quarter and just approach things like that. Um, have that adaptability. Don't be so stuck on your idea and your ways. Be willing to change fast. And then I love um, the last point. Just be open to constructive criticism. Don't take it personal. I love those points. Thanks, Ashley. Amaram, you want to add to that? Yeah. Um. Some great points already made. Right. So I'll um, come from, so I mean, based on the question you asked of what are the, some of the challenges. So um, some challenges are also around um, talent. So like finding talent that can actually fit into the product that you are trying to build um, or the type of company that you're trying to build um, as well. Right. There's a lot of conversation around you know, building talent specifically for um, tech startups, which is very relevant today, because in many cases, the um, traditional way that a lot of people are used to doesn't necessarily work in a startup. It's very fast paced. Um, everything changes, you know, literally from one day to the next. Um, so some people aren't really able to adapt. But finding talent um, in the midst of, you know, in the midst of not having enough talent, being able to find people to work with, right? And being able to communicate 
the vision clearly um, um, to them. So one thing that we do that has really helped us, right, in being able to navigate is, one, ensuring that the people that are you know, we're hiring are people that actually are interested, right, on some level interested in the field that we're, we're in, in the space that we're in, in the industry, and they have some knowledge about it. So bringing in people that actually are interested, people that like the company culture. So we like to communicate that very clearly, very early on. Um, and we find that that really helps us to really see through um, the bunch and end up with people that are really passionate um, about what we're doing, about the industry as well. Now, when they come in, it's not now perfect, obviously. The work still continues, right? So when you now have a team, um, how do you ensure that the team understands the vision, so the long-term vision, the short-term goals, they're able to properly understand their tasks, and that really now becomes the work, right, of leadership to ensure that the vision is clearly communicated over and over again, right? Um, like Ashley said before, it's visioning, so it's not something that was written like 20 years ago that is still the exact same thing today, but it's something that we are constantly, you know, taking a pen and putting another alphabet on, right? So it's changing, it's evolving. We ensure that we're communicating that clearly. And we also take the OKRs um, approach um, in-house so that you're able to work in short bursts, but towards the same goal at all times, right? So in five years, it will still be the same goal. But what, what are we doing today that's going to get us there? So that also um, helps. Um, and also investing, right, in the talent. So in-house, ensuring that um, our teammates are we're investing in their own kind of personal development because it actually comes together in the whole to, to help us grow as well. Um, and I think also the listening and getting feedback. So mine is from the approach of listening to the team, right? So I always do um, what I call the pulse check, listening to them, getting the feedback, I can't be in 50 places at the same time. So they're essentially like parts of me in different parts, getting feedback from customers as well. Um, so listening to the team and getting that feedback as well. And that also gives them, um, you know, this sense of responsibility, right? So growing the sense of responsibility in the team. And I, feel, I find that the more responsible that people feel in a team, the happier that they are, the, the more they, you know, want to contribute. And it really um, has helped with our own growth as well. Thanks. Thanks so much, Mariam. And I love how you just like really focused on talent. I think when we're talking about um, African startups, talent is always something that comes up. And I love how you kind of brought up those points. It can really be a challenge, but there are different steps to kind of like um, mitigate those things and how to like actually turn that into like an opportunity for even more growth. So thanks for that. And um, even talking about talent, that brings me to my next question. And Ekene, I love your thoughts on this. I know you're, um, you guys are very big on talent in Africa and also Jasmine as well. I love your thoughts. It's really, so we're talking about strategic leadership and how founders, um, leadership, people in leadership positions have to kind of provide that um, direction and all that we've said so far to the organization. Um, but how do, it doesn't stop at, um, um, at, at their desk, right? There's always need to continuously build leaders for there to be um, that continuous growth. And Mariam just said about like, you really can't do everything. So how do you pass this on to your team and invest in them? So question is, how can startups really 
And Ekene, yeah, this is to you and Jasmine as well. Um, how can startups actually cultivate a culture of strategic thinking and leadership among team members? So this is going beyond just um, the top. And how can they um, pass on that culture of strategic thinking and leadership amongst team members to build more leaders? Yeah. So this is very interesting because this is something that I know that a lot of startups, um, my friends have startups, I work at a startup, actually struggle with, right? Just finding the right talent internally and passing on the battle of strategic leadership and making sure that they're fit for the roles that you want them to sit in. Um, I think the first thing that you want to think about is trust, right? Do you trust that you have hired the right person? Because regardless of how young the talent is, right? Do you trust that this talent, if I give them this, right, they will actually excel at that? And I think that's something that most people will struggle with because you don't want to put the the cross of your company, of your startup on someone that doesn't have the the qualifications or the mindset, right? And it's one thing about mindset too play in that role. But building that culture can be difficult, is difficult, but like I said, it's trust. Trusting that you have built the right process or you have hired the right person and giving them that role and understanding that they can do it. Another idea that I, I, I like to play with a lot is that if you hire people and you trust them, Maybe it's allowed. <laughs> and, and I don't know if that's the right word to use here. I like to tell people that I don't know if micromanaging is a bad thing. <laughs> but I know that there are a lot of people that are probably like troubles right here, right? Um, but if you teach and you coach, build a culture of coaching. Always be involved. Like, okay, look, this is what is going to happen. This is how we're thinking about it. So involve the junior. And that's something that's very interesting with what we try to do at Hugo, right? We involve the junior people at some really strategic decisions that need to be made. And you'll be surprised about, like, the quality of people that you find. And it is not generally African to involve someone that is not sitting in a wall or someone that is not in a particular pay grade to invite them to, like, a meeting that they shouldn't be, right? But if you build that culture of just letting them be there, and if listening to them, you find that you actually have very great talent. So building that culture of people that will then become strategic leaders starts with trusting them and then entrusting them, right? I trust that I have hired you and you have watched because a lot of people actually learn by doing. If you figure that that is their strength or that is where they're coming from, you allow them into those meetings and you entrust them with the work. And the idea of, and I mentioned something in the beginning, like micromanaging, maybe again, the definition doesn't seem so great, but in the idea of coaching and training and getting people to do the right thing, I can give like a random example. I want, I want to hire a bunch of project managers and again, funding and all of that, I don't have the funds to hire 20 project managers, but I have 20 people or I have 30 people in the company, and I can actually raise 20 project managers out of them, right? They might not have the PMP certification. They might not have the role. They might not have the glamour, right? But one thing I do is I invite them into like project manager meetings. 
and hear their thoughts and show them this is how I want you to do it. This is how I want you to think about it. This is how you think about it. And get them, okay, I have given you this small task. Go and do it. While you're doing it, let me know. Um, I, I was in a strategic meeting recently and someone was talking about how he knows what his people are doing minute by minute. I think minute by minute might be crazy, but every 30 minutes, check in. I want to know what you're doing, right? And that is the only way you will build the talent that you need, that at the end of the day, you're able to build people that are just strategic and they have the mindset that you need them to have, right? Okay, go and do this. Get back to me in 30 minutes. What's the progress? Get back to me in 30 minutes. Now, another person would come and say, oh, you're micromanaging me. But the idea is that this person is junior and I want them to be able to play in the field of seniors. And that's the only way I'm going to get you there. Right? Just going, into, going with the mindset that I trust you, so I'm going to entrust you with work. But while I entrust you with work, I'm going to be involved in that work that you're doing so that at the end of the day, I can close my eyes and have you raise more leaders. At the end of the day, what you find is that you have 200 leaders in your company. And maybe you are not, maybe then you are not so stressed. And that's something I like to tell any founder that I'm close to. Are you building a culture where they're grooming leaders, where you're grooming coaches, where people come with the idea that I cannot work in silo because I'm responsible and I'm accountable to the company and I'm responsible to the person sitting next to me to make sure that they're a leader, right? So, yeah, that's how I think about it. Awesome, Mekanet. Thanks a lot. There are a lot of interesting points. I think I agree with you where people are going to give like side eye to like, huh, micromanaging. This seems like a bad word. But I think um, you brought out some really good points. Um, interesting to see how people take that. <laughs> but yeah, Jasmine, um, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I second definitely uh, what Miriam is saying around ownership and give junior leaders an opportunity to rise to the occasion. I would love to hear more. We don't even have enough time, but around the minute or the 30 minute check-ins, because I think that sometimes that can create an environment if the leader's not careful. It all depends on the leadership. It starts from the top, trickles down to the bottom, but of distrust within the team, like, hey, you gave me this. Do you trust me? I do think the regular check-ins um, and something that I think is identify and systemize. If you want to build more leaders, it's not only something that you emote and it is an emotional experience as far as you're building and speaking into the soft skills that you see as well as those harder technical skills, but you also are identifying where they're just naturally thriving and you begin to correct their paths into that direction. So with those regular check-ins, you're making sure that you're telling them what you identify, asking them to identify it within themselves and giving them ownership over what they see in their process of growth. And as they're growing, then there's an opportunity to systemize what they're doing. Creating those SOPs is major, okay? If you're going to grow a startup and you are going to build leaders along the way, then there needs to be a framework, a blueprint of something, and those SOPs will do that. And by systemizing what you've identified, there's an opportunity for massive growth, but genuine, genuine attachment to the mission. 
because now they are not only invested as a contributor, but also as an owner, a part of the experience. And by identifying and systemizing the gifts you see in a leader, a junior leader, because truthfully, I don't know, maybe this is controversial, but I do believe everyone is a leader in their own right, whether they lead in the back, to the side, in the front, they're quiet, they're loud, they're meek, wherever they are, they are a leader. It's just refining what we see in that raw space, in that raw state. And that can happen by identifying and systemizing it in the container of a startup. All right. Great, Jasmine. Love those points. Absolutely love it. I, I'm, I'm like, amen, amen to systemizing and um, processes and um, SOPs. I think that is so key. And not enough people actually do that or think about doing that. But I think it's so important and it's so freeing when you have systems and processes documented. Um, yeah, so thanks for that. Um, okay, so we're kind of wrapping up, but I do want, um, I personally think like we learn best through stories and kind of like when we um, hear stories and what other people have gone through, we actually take in those lessons and it kind of sticks. So um, kind of like a, question, final question before we start taking questions, I already see two pin questions, is um, if um, we can talk about, for the next like five, ten minutes, talk about maybe some examples in your own company or what you've seen about successful strategic leadership initiatives that have really propelled startups to growth and success. So this could be from your own experience or from other people's experiences, but what does that look like? And this is open to all the speakers um, as we have it. Um, yeah. So, um, Ekena, do you want to take that first? And then we'll just go around before we take questions. Sure. Um, so, one, one example that I had seen that was very, it was very interesting to me, right, is that um, there was a time that um, it was just, it was generally just decided <laughs> that, Everyone that was hired, right, and this wasn't the company that I currently work in. It was a company that I was involved in, and that company, everyone that was hired into that company needed to do a leadership program. And it was, it was regardless of what level you were hired at. And what is true is that even the janitors were also like, you just had to do that program. And it was like a Miles Monroe program. Everybody had to do it. And what was interesting or what I saw was that everyone in that company still dates, right? Um, and I, I think the founder, I think I saw him come in and leave. Everyone in that company till date have climbed up the ladder very quickly. And the way their product sells is making Africans leaders. He is also like into outsourcing, like just making African leaders. And that is something that I have seen because that business has propelled so greatly. And I'm like, this is something that I should take. Like I would steal it if I can. But just making sure that everybody that comes in through these doors, this is what you do. Regardless of what you're hired as, I, like if you're hired as a very senior person, if you're hired as a very junior person, you do this program. And once you do it, you come into it. What would then happen is that there's a mindset of ownership that, and I think that's something that 
was alluded to, there's a mindset of ownership that just gets or kicks into everyone, that everyone, you, once you walk into the doors, you feel like everyone in that company has a share. But the, it was just a mindset thing, and that was just a, a decision that was taken by like three or four people. I was in that conversation, and I've just seen it work. Business is propelling great. The people are also doing really great. And I think that for any business to be great, those are two things that have to work, and I've seen it work. Um, so yeah, that's one, that's one story that struck me immediately you asked the question. All right. Thank you so much, Ekene. Um, thanks so much. Um, so I see we have quite a few questions. So I'm just going to jump to the questions so that we do have time to take them. This feels like, um, honestly, ladies, this has been great. This feels like we should probably have a part two because I think so many people have learned a lot. I've learned a lot. And I think it's just like a really, really great conversation. But let me jump into the questions so that we can make sure to answer them and then we'll always circle back for sure. Um, so first one comes from Fola and he was like, how do you get buy-in of the team into the strategic plans of the leadership? What helps and what makes it harder to achieve? Um, so does anybody want to take that? Any of the speakers? All right, Ashley, go ahead. <laughs> sure. So I think um, one thing that's really important is like co-creation and, and consultation. Um, so let me give an example. Um, semicolon, one of the things we do is training. Um, I've also done various types of corporate training um, and like lots of different types of training um, throughout my life. And I will always start a workshop or a training session by setting ground rules. And basically, as soon as I start, I more or less know exactly what those ground rules are going to be. Uh, but instead of me coming in and announcing them, I take however long, you know, five, 10 minutes um, to with the group to ask them, what do they want their ground rules to be? And they, and they suggest ground rules. And sometimes depending on the, the context, we have some discussion about what it should be and so forth. Um, and so at the end of the day, usually they end up with exactly what I would have put, but because the team has co, whoever's in that group has co-created it, they now own it, they've thought through it, they agree to it. Even if somebody in the group had a different idea, they've seen the group go through the process of discussing it and they understand that everybody else wants that and they understand why. So similarly for strategy and vision and so forth, I think it's really important. Um, even as founders, we may think it's extremely clear exactly where we want to go, um, I think it's very important to sit with the teams at different levels, um, especially a, a senior leadership team or a management team, but sometimes really involving, uh, you know, have the opportunities for everybody at, at different levels in different ways to be part of um, talking about the vision, the purpose of, of the organization, um, talking about what the goals should be and so forth. And sometimes the where you land is the exact same you know, vision and set of goals that you would have come up with. And if, if you don't land on that, then it's better, right? <laughs> because you've, you've gotten the input if you came in listening with an open mind. But I think that really does what it does for the team is, again, builds the understanding, builds the buy-in, also builds their skills um, to the, the points that were raised earlier, that we have to be building leaders. So um, having them go through the process of thinking through something um, as a team 
um, over time, um, you know, as a leader, we want to basically fire ourselves from every job possible <laughs> over time. So over time, it means that they get stronger and stronger at being able to do um, that strategic planning on their own um, without really needing you in the room and you can graduate from that and one day retire. All right, great points. In a long time. Thank you, great points, Ashley. Um, yeah, I hope I didn't cut you off because I think you went silent for a bit. So I think it may have been my internet, but thank you so much, Ashley. Can I see your hand? So go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to build on some of the points that Ashley made, but I also wanted to um, add a few things. So one thing that I've seen that has worked, right, is just leading by example, getting your hands dirty also. Um, so some of us, there, there was some, like, maybe let me use the story, there was some things that we wanted to roll out, right? And, and I told people, like, the only way to get these people to think about it the way you want to think about it is, first of all, you need to put yourself in those shoes. You need to be empathetic enough to know that, look, if I put out this decision, will people be fine with it? If I'm not fine with it as a person, if I remove myself as a founder, if I remove myself as the program manager, if I remove myself as, I put myself in their shoes, I'm just empathetic enough to understand how this thing actually works. If you can get it, if you can be fine with it, I'm sure like you would get the buying of people, right? Because at the end of the day, you wouldn't do to your, you wouldn't want others to feel like you wouldn't do the same thing to yourself. So just being in the weeds, I used to tell people like, look, if you want these people, if you want to buy, if you want people to buy your ideas, be in the weeds, right? And also, one thing that I know that is true is, do people trust you? Have you built an organization that is based on trust? And how do you build trust? Like, and they're very like small things. Do people know that you have their back? Do people know that if they ask you a question, you will be clear, right? Give them clarity. Communicate. Let them know this is why this has to be done. This is the background. If you have to go into like minute conversations and just say, look, this is what, this is the why. And this is the how. But what are your thoughts, right? And like Ashley said, most times people would come to that point where you need them to be because you've been clear. And that's something that I tell people, don't be ambiguous, right? If you want to get their buying, don't. people are not stupid. People are really smart. So don't come and say, oh, like A and B, D, C, E, F. No, like this is A and this is why A is A. This is B and this is why B is B. What do you think the answer can be? And you'd be shocked that everybody will come to us really they see, right? And that's the way you get the buy-in. Let them trust you. Be clear with whatever it is you're doing. Give them the background. Clarity. Like, I can't overemphasize on clarity because clarity is something that just helps. But also just helping them understand that you have their back and you are not going to do anything. And that's what I tell founders, like, let your people know that you're not going to do anything that's going to be detrimental to them purposefully, right? If people know that, they're good. You have their buying, even before you throw it out. Like, what you would then have is that because you then built what I like to call champions, like, in the organization. So what would happen is when you bring out something and you say, oh, this is what we have to do, the champions will go and say, look, look, guys, we know that never has it been said that we were shut on our feet, 
Right, so let's get this done. And that's how you get the buy all right. Thank you so much, Ekene. Thank you, Ashley. Um, great, great points. I'm just thinking in my head, like, this is such a great conversation to have. I want to just have over and over again. So this is definitely something to listen to again, but so, great points. Um, okay, so we have another question. And that question, okay, and I see Dami Lola's hand up. So give me a second, Dami Lola, I'll get to you. But we have one question from Home Dell Logistics. And the question is, how do you evaluate your HR team since recruitment and personnel maximization is their responsibility, more emphasis on maximizing human assets. So does anybody want to, any of the speakers, do you want to um, touch on that? So how do you evaluate your HR team since um, recruitment and personnel maximization is their own responsibility, more emphasis on maximizing human assets? All right, so Mariam, I see you. So go ahead. Yeah, um, so I'll, I'll take this and try to answer this as as best as I can. So um, I think there's no like blueprint or I don't have a blueprint for this, but I can explain um, things that we've done that that works. Um, so evaluating the team or or the way we've set up our HR team is we and we try to um, automate as many processes as possible. Um, and what this does is we're able to carry, so we're able to carry, we make our HR processes very transparent um, to the team. So there's there's like a HR team, yes, but everybody is carried along in HR processes, right? And we try to automate as many parts of it as possible. We use as many tools as possible, right? So even um, tools for personnel management, um you know, recruitment tools, we ensure that the recruitment process itself um, is not only managed by the HR team, but is transparent enough that other people in the team, right? So we have um, we have a process of hiring managers, right? And depending on the team, anybody can be a hiring manager. It doesn't have to be me or, or my co-founder, right? Um, and we, we, we've done it this way because first we have a small um, HR team, um, and we're also working in a space that is relatively new for, for many of the people that we work with. Um, and we found a way to just carry everyone along um, as much as possible. This way, um, we've built, we've built um, a system that everyone understands and <clears throat> everyone understands. So every member of the team understands that, okay, in there's a T40 way, let's put it that way, right? There's a T40 way, this is how we do it, this is how we go about check-ins, um, this is how we go about recruiting, this is the process, everything is properly documented. Um, and then it's now very easy to measure success or failure because we have all these tools in place, we have all these processes, right? So if the process is failing, um, it's easy to see so if there's any failure, would I put it that way? It's easy to check and see, okay, was there a step that was missed or was any part of the process not followed? And for us, this has worked compared to what we've had before um, Before now that was, you know, largely just going by the air, right? Just having a, a, a HR manager that, you know, had some um, Word, Microsoft Word-designed um, recruitment process, but just making it very transparent and accessible to almost every member of the team um, makes that evaluation process easier. I don't know if that helps um, home, Dell. 
All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mariam. I think those are some really, really good points. I think one thing is just not um, isolating it to just the HR team, but just making it a more general, um, not general decision, but more transparent process and involving more people in that process. So I think those are some really good points. Um, all right, Damlola, let me take you, your question. Um, so you can now speak. You can unmute and speak. Damlola, I can go ahead. Oh, hi. Good evening, everyone. Um, thank you so much for the very insightful, I mean, talk. I've learned so much. So my my first observation seems like um, most of the things you guys have spoken about are for teams that are 10 people and above. But for my own company, we are basically six and just about three of us run the main operation. The remaining three, of the, um, the remaining three are engineers. So my question is basically, and I'll speak to our own specific problem right now, is marketing. So because of the nature of our startup, we are a startup that keeps data for companies, for enterprise companies. And um, the only way we're able to reach them is through digital marketing, through email marketing. Now, we tried to recruit, but it was expensive. So we went the NYSE route, whereby we, um, the idea was hire two NYSE interns. And then um, we would try to train them on, um, on how to do digital marketing, or they should have some digital marketing skills. And we would then try to coach them into understanding what our business is about. But the challenge we are having is um, they don't seem to bring the same enthusiasm that we have. Plus the fact that I'm not a digital marketer. I'm an engineer. So I would try to explain to them what to do. But to get in their buying to fully commit to it, what we then have is um, you have one person giving you um, answers that really don't solve the problem that you've given them in terms of goals. Or you have another person that is quite relaxed, that accepts you, try and push them, push them, push them. They don't give you the kind of uh, answer. So we tried to do the micromanaging routes. It ended up being that the person resigned. We tried to do the, okay, let's leave them to do what, um, let them do their research and do the work and give us feedback. But we don't get the kind of results that we're looking for. So how do you balance, um, I mean, trying to get them to that buy-in and at the same time expecting them to also do their quota Maybe because of we are not paying them and the current market rates. Great, great, great question, Damlola. And I see Mariam has a hand up. Um, Jasmine has a hand up. And I'm um, sorry, Ashley, I missed your hand up the last question. So I still want to hear your own thoughts. But Mariam, you can go ahead to answer Damlola's question. Then we'll take Jasmine and then we'll take Ashley for the last one. Guys, don't be annoyed. Let's give us another 10, 15 minutes and we'll, we'll be done. But I think this is a really important conversation to have. All right, Mariam, you can go ahead. Um, hi, hi, Damlola. Um, I wanted to ask, how do your customers engage with your product? Like in one line, if you can add that, because I missed that. So it's a SaaS product. It's more of an, a data document management system whereby we train an admin within the organization and the admin is able to train its users. So we are sort of like the backbone support. Okay. The product is quite self-explanatory. You can do it yourself. We just yeah. come in to set it up for you originally. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I think this is very interesting for me. And I know you, you said it's a small team. Um, so we're a team of about 30 now, but up until the beginning of 2023, we were 
I'll say 15, right? We're a team of about 15. So I've, I, I feel like I can completely resonate with what, what you, you, the scenario you just painted. Um, a few things, right? I don't know if you were here at the beginning. One thing that has really helped, like I said, is really building. Um, if you are a SaaS company, you have the opportunity to build your company as a product-led company. Um, that way, if you're constantly thinking of your product and, and actually guiding with your product, right? So all decisions kind of start with the product. You're able to actually put marketing into the product itself, right? So um, an example of what I'm talking about is like the hooked model, for instance, Um ensuring that the product itself markets itself, the product itself is um, converting users, you know, habits into or amplifying users' habits, right? So that, you know, a lot of the other work that you have to do outside is now just complementary and doesn't become your main marketing. This is one thing that has helped for um, for one. Um, the second thing that I've also learned is you can't completely outsource marketing um, as a founder. And this is something that, again, is something I'm still working on, right? Because I also have this major, um, major issue many times, right? Of, you know, I've, I, I have the story to tell at the end of the day. It's, it's my vision. I'm carrying people along, but I have that story to tell. So the marketing really becomes a major task for the founder, for the founder. And at, at any stage, right? At, at pre-seed, at seed, you know, at any stage, you are essentially the storyteller and it, it it's unfortunately or fortunately just not something that can be completely outsourced because I don't think anybody else, um, no matter how great, you know, even if it's the best marketing consultant, nobody else is going to be able to tell your story better than you are. Um, but And then one way you can actually do that effectively is using your product to tell your story for you. So I can give you an example, right? So T40, again, just, just in case, some people were in here um, early on. So we we are transforming intercity, or some people say interstate transport and logistics, right? So a lot of the work that we do is giving operators solutions to manage their operations, to manage their inventory, to also sell their tickets online. And then we have a marketplace, right, that we now open up to the general public to be able to buy tickets to travel from state A to state B. Now, we've had a major, you know, we've had, we've done, gone through so many marketing campaigns to try to draw a lot of attention to our marketplace. Um, obviously, if we focus on the B2C, then it means that our marketing cost goes really high. So we always have to think of innovative ways um, to market our products. So because, it, because it's niche, not everybody's traveling interstate every day. You, you know, this year we thought, what can we do to just bring more eyes, right? Even if someone isn't traveling interstate. And then we thought, okay, we, we can find the pain points that affects everyone, right? Not just people traveling interstate. And currently there's a major thing of fuel price is very unstable, right? And we've now put in a small feature, right? It's actually just a simple feature in the product. You come to the landing page and we have what we call the fuel monitor. Now, when someone else comes to them, they're coming here to check What's the what's the cost of oil in my um in my area, right? So anybody can come and say, oh, currently NMPC is selling for for seven hundred in in VGC, for instance, right? And it's on there, and somebody else that is looking for how much oil cost can come there to check, right? And it's obviously a very useful tool for people. For me, it helps me tell my story, right? You may not be traveling interstate today, but I'm able to bring your your attention to to my product. So 
it's it's again like unfortunately I don't have like a, a blueprint, but it's something that I would I would suggest that again marketing can be completely outsourced um to the team. So you have to do a lot of guiding. I work very closely with um my marketing team. Um not in a way to micromanage. Obviously, a lot of the advice that was dropped here or a lot, a lot of the points that were raised already about, you know, getting feedback from them, trying to understand, you know, where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are and see if you can cover up those those um, those gaps. That would really help. But I would say it's it would be very helpful to be very, very close to, to the marketing of your own product. And making it product-led um, would reduce or make it a little bit more efficient to do. All right. Thanks so much, Mariam. Jasmine? Um, hey, Jasmine. I don't think we can hear you. Or is it just me? No, I can't hear her. Okay. Oh, it seems like we lost Jasmine. Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, Ashley, I think you wanted to also talk about like how you evaluate the HR team um, and that recruitment. I think you wanted to touch on that. So let me quickly come back to you. Sure. Yeah. And maybe I'll just kind of touch on a few things at one go. Right. So just quickly, I wanted to underscore on the HR side, um, and this was sort of touched on, but I think that it's not just HR responsibility to do to uh, maximize value of the staff or even to do recruitment uh, as was managed. And I think, um, I mean, that's really one of the key responsibilities of leaders, um, which is both the founders, but we also want to be building up our team um, from day one to be able to do that. Um, to the other kind of question just raised, I think it's on the marketing, uh, the scenario with the, the marketing interns. I think it's a great question because as founders, one of our biggest challenges is that we never have enough resources to do everything we want to do. And so it's really trying to make the prioritize and then figure out how to do more with less. Um, so there are a few things that come to mind for me. One is, especially early stage, figuring out other ways to get that value without having to put people on payroll or spend the budget. So for example, if, uh, you know, marketing is not your um, skill set um, or skill set of any of the co-founders, um, you know, I love being able to tap into advisors, um, you know, having a board of advisors, for example, um, if somebody is, is on there who has some marketing expertise, mentors, um, one thing I, that always brings me joy is I've seen in this ecosystem um, working in Nigeria, a lot of people are really happy to advise, mentor, speak, you know, as long, especially if you make your ask clear, um, if you're if you're really engaged, if it's not too onerous. Um, so, so there could be some ways to get a little bit of that strategic input um, at the early stage without having to really pay for it. Um, I also learned over time to pick up the other, uh, to maybe also tie into this point on micromanaging, this last question. Um, but I've learned over time a few lessons the hard way. One is that um, for staff, if they're not bought in, if they don't have the right attitude, um, it's very, very difficult to kind of get the performance 
you want out of them. Now, if, if there's an issue and they're not bought in for a reason, for everything in life, you know, the first thing we're going to do is ask why uh, five times and try to get to the bottom of it. Um, but if the person is really just not a fit for the company, um, I, I've learned sort of the earlier that that sort of becomes clear um, and the, all parties can decide to part ways, I think the, the better that tends to be. Um, I've also learned that sometimes it's just a lot, it's harmful, but almost more expensive to have somebody, to keep somebody in a role they're not a fit for because they're, quote, inexpensive. Um, but the truth is, it can be a much higher return for the business sometimes if you just pay a little bit more for a role and get somebody who's got the right, at least potential, right, um, who has that, that raw ability um, and interest and buy-in and then can be coached into the role. So that's, that's sort of what came to mind for me because, again, like I said, I've sort of learned that the hard way. Um, and then to this last question um, I see in the chat on micromanagement, um, which I think is a bit related uh, to these questions about managing people. Uh, I think it really comes back, and people define micromanagement different ways. So sometimes when people have different views on micromanagement, it's just because they're defining that term um, differently in their heads. Uh, but I think for me, what it what I think of is just effective delegation, right? Um, somebody, uh, I can't remember who it was, but somebody at the start of our conversation spoke about coaching, right? So I think, you know, going from day one, having an orientation that, um, that people can be built um, into different roles um, that, and an expectation that we're going to need to make that investment in coaching and orienting ourselves that way um, in terms of how we plan our time, um, the expectations we set for people, how we manage people, et cetera, I think is important. Um, when we delegate, we want to delegate the what, but not the how, right? So I want you to achieve this result but then give them some space to figure out how to do it. And uh, for staff at different levels, the what might be small or it might be very big, right? So for a senior staff member, the what could be, I need you to deliver this strategic outcome. Go, you know, run with it. For somebody who is doing their first job, the what could be very, very small, right? I need you to deliver this report. Uh, but we still give them some flexibility on the how. Um, but providing support, providing examples, sometimes, as somebody mentioned, even being clear that we're available to sit and co-create, right? Um, to give them a template if they really are feeling uncomfortable or like they need some guidance. Um, so I, I think that that um, helps us delegate effectively. And I think also setting our mindset when we're delegating, choosing that what we're delegating at the right level so that we're giving them some space to, quote, fail occasionally. Um, but making sure we've delegated so that when they fail, it's not a disaster for the business, right? So it could be, okay, um, I'm giving you a new task. It's a stretch. I know it's a stretch project for you. Um, what I, I need to, uh, let's say I'm doing a work for a client of mine, right? I know I need to deliver it to the client by Friday. Um, I want one of the staff to try their hand at owning this thing. So I'm going to say, okay, bring it to me by Wednesday. Right. So then there, if, if it's just fallen apart, I still have a little bit of time to work with that person to recover. Right. I'm not I'm not going to just let them um, independently take it on for the first time and give to the client um, or I, I'm delegating at the right 
um, level such that, so just generally I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that I want people to take risks. I want people to grow. Um, but if it's something that, um, is a stretch for them, I mind, I've delegated understanding that they might struggle with it the first time. Um, so that's base, that's both informed how I've delegated, but also my expectations and my responses, right? So when I get it back for the first time, my orientation is, okay, I'm recognizing the effort. You did this well. Ne- um, however, next time do X, Y, Z, let me help you with it, ABC, et cetera. All right. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you so much for those um, points. I think, and you touched the last question as well. So that's great. Um, Jasmine, I know you want to speak, so please go ahead. And guys, we'll speak good. Yeah, Jasmine, I want to hear you. <laughs> thank you. I am so sorry. I did not know what happened. But thank you for letting me share again. So something, and forgive me if anybody said this, my sound also cut out. And that's what let me know that there was a sound barrier. Anyways, one of the things that I was saying is that uh, you mentioned that one of the uh, interns is lackluster, I believe, or um, lackadaisical was actually, I think, something the language you used. And the other I wasn't uh, sure about, but just that there needs to be, if not a consistent training of them, but then not just this elongated training that goes on, but while they're in training that you there is a clear blueprint of if you're not doing this of setting OKRs and KPIs very clearly with a succinct timeline so if it's after Q1 or Q2 uh whichever quarter or timeline that you adjust to that they're going to do x and you were you are expecting this type of ROI and if that's not met then you can pivot but you will have a clear timeline of what's not working, testing it, as well as having these clear metrics of, okay, this is what I hope to see. And if this is not what's happening with digital marketing, then we'll make pivots adjusting and, and adjust accordingly. As well as you mentioned that you're, this isn't your wheelhouse, which is totally fine, but there's also an opportunity to outsource. And I think Ashley spoke of this coaching, but my sound kind of was chopping in and out. But this is an opportunity to also outsource a digital marketing expert and help train you while also training them. And based off of what that digital marketer is teaching, that's an opportunity to create some SOPs based off of the success of what comes out of the clear timeline and OKRs and KPIs. And based off of that success, then there's an opportunity to build a foundational system into your business that you can use over and over and over and just outsourcing maybe that one time or doing or yes and training and having that timeline with the clear metrics in place. It's also an opportunity to grow as a leader and as a startup. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jasmine. Definitely worth taking that time to hear you speak. Um, So Damola, I hope those points were are good um and just to add on like even if i think and jasmine actually touched on it just that beginning stage because it's not just because you're a company of six there are companies of 10 20 who have the same problem right um it's universal right and so but i feel like even if you're going to okay nyc we want to do that just even if you find a friend touching on what ashley said um leverage people who you may not have to pay find a friend who knows enough maybe about digital marketing have them interview these people, 
find someone doing NYC that is interested in content creation or digital marketing already and would have that training and all. There are many of them, right? And then leverage them. For them, it's experience. And for you, you get um, you get that um, the work done as well. And then also there's so much, there's so many resources. Um, what Jasmine was saying about training, there are so many resources out there for you to kind of like plug your team into. Um, and so once you know the outcome you're trying to achieve, just like, okay, this is your first week. First week, I need you to go through this, 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 and measure them against those objectives that you want to achieve. Um, I think hopefully those points help as well. Um, yeah. So, um, thank you so much. Um, and thank you so much to our speakers. So, like I said, I enjoyed today's session. I knew it was going to be a great session and it has been. We're almost 20 uh, minutes past the hour, but it has been so worth it. So thank you so much to Jasmine, Ashley, Mariam, Ekene. We definitely have to get this all-star female panel back for sure. <laughs> so I enjoyed myself and it was awesome. So thank you guys so much. I know that I learned a lot. I know that people who are going to listen to this learned a lot. And guys, this is something that you probably want to listen to again. So definitely check out. So we have these recordings put up on our podcast. Check out our podcast, the Startup Launch Group podcast on Spotify. And you can check out the particular episode, which will be up before the end of the week. But um, yeah, thanks so much again for an amazing session to our speakers. Thank you to everyone who listened, asked questions. I hope this was impactful. And yeah, we'll see you next time. We have this every two weeks. So we'll see you next time at our next conversation. All right, everyone. Have a great evening. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. If you found value in today's episode, you can find more at gotlaunchpad.com. Stay inspired, stay innovative, and keep building those dreams. Until next time, bye.